Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it might be. It is June 16th, 2021. Lots of interesting stuff going on in the world around cybersecurity and zero trust. As I speak right now, the leader of the free world, President Biden, is meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Geneva. Interesting that there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, attack stuff going on in the last, let's say, 48 hours, 72 hours, and I doubt we'll see a lot more uh, specific attack stuff in the next couple of days, just because there's bad optics there. Um, does that mean that Vladimir Putin is, you know, directing these attacks? No, but does that mean that it's probably interesting to see that things kind of tone down when the two are face to face? Absolutely, it's something worth noting, at least something worth paying attention to. Now, following on to that, let's talk about the question that I get all the time from folks about the zero trust security market. And this report was just published recently, marketstudyreport.com. Uh, it's got stuff about IT and telecommunications. They have a report specifically on global zero trust security market and their estimates based on research and this forecast from 2021 to 2027 is going to says the global zero trust security market is estimated to reach 60.25 billion by 2027. It's valued right now at about 19.6 billion in 2020 and is going to grow at a CAGR of about 17.4% over that forecast period. If you look at the market growth for just cybersecurity, it's about 10% over that same time frame. Well, what does that mean? That means that there will be more investment, more efforts, more paying attention to more dollars and cents going into zero trust over this next seven years, six years, than there is going into just general cybersecurity. That's a good thing because that means that the investments are lining up, people are putting stuff in the right place, and we're starting to see that there is a strategic alignment going on globally. I think that that number is probably a little bit lower. My guess is over the course of you know time, because of all the things that are going on there, it's going to get even bigger, even faster, quicker. Uh, when they talk about the growth of organizations that are in here, they talk about all the different technologies that are included. Um, they do go into some of the major market players. And obviously, if you followed any of the research that was published at Forrester around Zero Trust, you could kind of guess who the players are. However, they threw in some stuff around uh, Trend Micro, IBM, Symantec, FireEye, McAfee. Okay, makes sense. I mean, they're you know legacy players in the space, probably have some uh, applicability as well. And then they go into the different types of things that are available in the ZT market, which looks wink, wink, very much like the ZTX extended ecosystem that somebody created when they were working at Forrester, wink, wink. So if you get the chance, go check out this thing, market study report, global zero trust security market size research. It's something you can read up on, get familiar with, and it gives a bit of reality into what the market actually looks like around zero trust as it stands and why this continues to be such an interesting space and the investment that's going on there. The Biden executive order is only going to help drive this going forward. Um, it, it just continues to get more and more investment, more and more dollars and cents going into it. DISA published their RFI last week or a week or so ago for Thunderdome, which is pretty cool, right? Thunderdome. And that's basically DISA getting into zero trust. Um, you know, lots of really cool things going forward uh, as we get into the space around this. Now, Follow on to that, there was a report published recently. Let's see, the date was June 14th, so two days ago. Uh, Cybersecurity Executive Order 2021, what it means for cloud and SaaS security. This was on the Hacker News. This is a great breakdown 
of a short run through on the executive order uh, on improving the nation's cybersecurity. Basically, this thing was directed at federal agencies. Everybody's aware of that. But it will have a ripple effect throughout the federal technology space, which will ultimately impact private organizations. Why? Because the organization that is the leader in cybersecurity, whether we want to admit it or not, and has been doing this longer than the rest of us with a formalized approach, is the federal government. They've been getting their ass handed to them and doing what they can do in cybersecurity and fighting the good fight for a long, long time. We follow them. The bulk of the executive order talks about administrative tax, right? Shocking. Well, imagine that, a, a thing from the government talking about administrative crap. However, when you get into some of the more specific things, it does talk about several basic things that should be part of a overall approach to portions of zero trust. They talk about things in the uh, federal supply chain, right? Better intelligence sharing, like where are we getting this stuff from? How is it going to be put into place? Should we be using it? Is it a threat? Um, a la Huawei, ZTE uh, stuff that we were getting and putting in, mm, problematic. Modernizing agency infrastructure with cloud and zero trust. Federal government, big stuff, moving the cloud, moving to zero trust, mandates in there, securing the federal IT software supply chain. Not just hardware, not just missiles and guns and bullets and whatever else, software supply chain being secure. The text of the executive order is pretty long. It's like 8,000 words. I've read the thing twice. Um, I think I've gone slightly blind in one eye from reading it, but it doesn't have a whole lot of stuff that really is punitive in nature. Um, it does have a lot of regulations and whatnot, but it does also specifically further down talk about moving to cloud and creating a zero trust architecture. It says within 60 days, federal agencies must, federal agencies must within 60 days, and this was published a little while ago, prioritize resources to move to the cloud as rapidly as possible. That's pretty important. The dang federal government says they're moving to the cloud. Wow. Plan to implement ZTA, plan to implement a zero trust architecture in 60 days. Have a plan for this and get things as secure as possible and remediate cyber risk. Now, that one's probably the most asinine thing that they could have wrote in there because it basically says stop sucking at cybersecurity and do better with no real gravitas and no real line item for how to do it. But at least it says something about get things better and remediate cyber risk, start driving the risk down. And then it also says within 180 days, listen to this, within 180 days, all agencies, all agencies need to adopt multi-factor authentication and encryption on all assets at rest and in transit with agencies adopting software as a service applications to modernize their IT stacks. Uh, multi-factor authentication is considered a primary risk mitigation strategy. Wow. Pretty significant when you hear it, something like that within 180 days, all agencies on all assets must adopt at least multi-factor authentication and at least encryption on things at rest and in transit. They talk about securing the supply chain with criteria for software security evaluation, not just buying stuff and sticking it into a network and saying, I really hope this doesn't cause an infection. Hope this doesn't give a backdoor to some nation that we're at war with. Establishing a software bill of materials, a BOM, that lists all the technology ingredients that developers use. Because right now when we get software, it comes in little blocks that are put together by developers that do developer things and then it's shoved into a system and hopefully we put it where it's supposed to go and we don't have a compromise because of that. Now, on the follow-on side of that, it talks about what that means for enterprises. It's going to take work. It's going to require a lot of effort. This is not just something that they're going to do overnight. 
literally, if you read through the whole thing and you go through the follow on uh, sort of big plan for it, they talk about moving to this over the course of the next decade. So it's not going to happen tomorrow. The federal government is saying it's going to take quite a while to get there. That's good. That's that is a very real thing that the federal government is talking about, which means other organizations should pay attention to that, too, and think about how that applies to them. This is not something that you just fire it up and do what you got to do. And then, you know, you're fixed. This, this takes time. Let's also talk about the new Chrome zero day bug, which is actually out there being exploited right now. If you've got Chrome and you're running it and you get that green little bubble on your Chrome browser, go update it. You know, this was published on June 9th from uh, Robbie Lashkaman, who is uh, an author at the Hacker News as well, talks about CVE 2021-30551. Vulnerability stems from a type of confusion issue in a V8 open source and JavaScript engine. Google project basically figured out what was going on there. Um, if you've got Google Chrome running, you need to go fix this now. The vulnerability was leveraged by the same actor that abused another CVE earlier in this year and actively exploited remote code execution flaw in Windows, which is a problem. Um, this was fixed on patch Tuesday of June 8th for Windows. It's available right now for Chrome. It took me, I would say, 18 to 20 seconds to run the update to get it up and fixed on my machine. You'll have that little green chromey thing that says update. Don't be lazy. Don't let it slide by. Go click it. Go update your system. If you're not doing that, you're potentially introducing a threat. That was a really great report. I'm always talking about kill the passwords, but there was a really great report that came out on June 8th from Danny Palmer. Um, it was on ZDNet that talked about this is how fast a password leaked on the web is going to be tested by hackers. And this was something that was done in coordination with the folks at Agari. Basically, what they did was they planted lots of credentials across the web, dark web, etc. They looked like they belonged to real users, but were actually things that the researchers were using for telemetry purposes. Uh, went on to websites and forums and they gave it away. So when those things were used, they were able to see how fast uh, a, a password was actually owned. Um, it took, you know, they did the research for about six months. So it's not something they did in a week and called it a real research thing. This was six months worth of research. And they found that accounts are actively assessed, right, accessed within hours of the logon credentials being posted online. And this is a quote, about half of the accounts were accessed within 12 hours of us actually seeding the sites. So they took the passwords that were going to be used for seeding, put it out there. About 50% of those were used within 12 hours. 20% are accessed within an hour. And 40% are accessed within six hours. That shows you how quickly a compromised account is exploited. That's from uh, Crane Hasseld, who's the Senior Director of Threat, and Re uh, Threat Research at Agari. That's crazy. So if you have a password that's out there that's compromised or you put it out there and it's a bad password, password one, two, three, exclamation point, uh, MAGA 2020, exclamation point, whatever. If it's going to be out there and it's going to be used for something, you've got at most about 12 hours. Now, a couple of other things to take away from that particular piece of research is that there's actually kind of a good side to that. And if you read through the whole thing, <clears throat> it also says uh, really those accounts are tried and used pretty quickly. And if they don't yield results, they're abandoned within about a week. So even if you have 
a password out there that's compromised, uh, if it's not something that is like super easy to use, you know, password one, two, three, I don't know, admin one, two, three, whatever, if it's actually somewhat of a more difficult password, if it can last a week, they probably aren't going to use it. So you can really get past that pretty quickly if you can not, you know, leverage really super crappy passwords. However, comma, I think the the most recent publication on an analysis for passwords for the year said to date, 2021, the most you know used password on the planet is still password one, two, three. So not looking very good for the home team and a lot of things. Uh, but it also says in this report at the very end of it, it says, if you can do any one thing, use multi-factor authentication can help prevent compromised accounts from being exploited as it makes things much harder for an attacker to use while also alerting the victim that something is wrong. And how do we know that that's a real deal? Well, that's what happened with SolarWinds. Like if it wasn't for MFA on a system and somebody paying attention, SolarWinds would have went on for God knows how long. But because there was, the folks at FireEye were able to see something strange was happening, start asking some questions. Oh my God, we have an issue. And then it becomes fiasco. However, comma, interesting and useful because MFA was what stopped it from being as bad as it could have been. In the UK, ransomware is the top cybersecurity threat we face, is what the cyber chief said. Uh, NCSC CEO Lindy Cameron issues warning over growing danger of cyber criminal ransomware operations and how improving cyber resilience is needed to prevent, uh, prevent attacks. Blah, blah, blah. Reading a little too fast there. Lindy Cameron, the head of the National Cybersecurity Center, uh, said that uh, the GCHQ is committed to tackling the threat of ransomware and supports victims of ransomware every day, but a coordinated response is required to combat the growing threat. Um, for the vast majority of UK citizens, and I would say this applies to US citizens and pretty much any citizen anywhere else as well, um, critical infrastructure providers, etc. the primary key is not state actors anymore, but cyber criminals. I, I disagree there. I think that that's incorrect. I think really what you're talking about is it's not necessarily that it is just cyber criminals. Those cyber criminal organizations are usually in some way, shape or form affiliated with, tied to, linked to, commanded by, blah, 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 something with some sort of nation state, especially in other countries where they use those things as proxies to kind of get away with whatever they're trying to get away with. Uh, you know, we see it coming out of China. We see it coming out of Russia. Um, you know, it's just how this whole thing works. And it, it, it's because a lot of times those cyber criminal organizations have accesses to things that they will provide to the bigger player, the nation state, the APT, so that they can do whatever they want to do with it. And this this is not unknown. The folks at Digital Shadows and the Recorded Future and whatnot have made this knowledge kind of available to all of us that if you look at how the business model works, Cyber criminals are after criminal stuff. They want money. They want ransomware things. They'll they'll do what they can do to you know generate income. APTs, nation states, are after nation state stuff. But those two are not exclusive. They don't operate in a vacuum away from each other. They collaborate. They cooperate. They go after things uh, in order to do more with what they've got available to them. Because this is ultimately about a level of effort and the willingness of an organization to break the law, international law and do things that we know aren't probably on the up and up. Um, it's just the reality of what's going on.
Now, lastly, because I try and keep this stuff pretty quickly, I want to talk about this report that came out from uh, Webroot. Um, it was an opinion piece, came out on the 14th of June, um, and it was really talking about the way that small businesses should be thinking about this. And this is something I beat up on all the time. I've written, a, I've written blogs about it. Like, if we don't fix small and mid-sized businesses and we just fix big enterprise, we haven't fixed anything because if those organizations are connected in, then they're going to be compromised. They're going to work their way through them to get to us. They just become jump boxes. They just become, you know, RDP sessions for bad guys to get to the infrastructure. It doesn't do any good to fix big companies and then overprice stuff and have small companies not be able to do it. So this report, this S, this uh, opinion attack, which was titled SMBs in the crosshairs, no size too small for cyber attacks. There's some really good statistics in here that people should pay attention to. So there's, there's references to a study that Webroot did it found that half of all attacks resulted in ransom demands exceeding $50,000 for small and mid-sized business. And the cost of remedying an attack runs in the tens of thousands of dollars. Additionally, about 40% of small and mid-sized businesses that do suffer an attack said it also harmed their brand reputation. Why? Because if you get owned, if you get ransomed, guess what? You got to go to your customers and be like, sorry, we had a big issue. And they go, what happened? And they go, well, I don't know. We have people that we're trying to work with to fix this. Does that damage your brand? You're damn right it damages your brand making matters worse, this stuff is not getting any better, right? Skilled social engineering, uh, better malware, ransomware as a service, all those things are increasingly targeting small and mid-sized business. Um, Emotet, which was around in 2020, basically showed that everybody everywhere was potentially a target. Um, it still is a, out there. People say that they shut it down. They didn't shut Emotet down. They just shut down some of the stuff that was being used for the purposes of Emotetting. And now it's back up and doing you know things on uh, on other systems. A couple of other pieces of data here that are useful, right? More than 60% of individuals admit using their personal devices to connect to their company network. Okay, not even the world. A lot of us are doing that. The pandemic forced that to be a thing. However, if that's going to be the case, we have to have software that runs on those endpoints that allows us to have management control and capability and the defensive posture applied to that, that endpoint. Because my home network if it's connected to my corporate network, especially via VPN, God help you, then you're pumping all your bad stuff into that infrastructure. So you need to have something running on your machine. Uh, other points, remarkably, about 10% of business devices still run Windows 7. Holy shit. Um, it's 2021. Windows 7 has been out of life for God knows how long right now. Like that's that's really it, it stopped in uh, in early 2020, even supporting it. Um move to windows 10 like do it it's not an option upgrade don't do that that's bad um it's not that windows are any better than anything else but windows uh, at least patch your stuff i mean I, people argue all the time too about well i have a mac macs aren't something people hack no it is there's malware for macs macs have things native to the operating system that you can use in a ransomware scenario um, there's a way to do it so it doesn't really matter which operating system you're using you have to have the right controls in place it talks about malware uh, authors are using their methods and shifting what they call LOL, laugh out loud, LOL, <laughs> or living off the land binaries. Um, basically, that allows the attacker to use the baked-in functionality of the operating system to orchestrate an attack. An example of this is wink, wink, Windows PowerShell. That's why, personally, it drives me nuts when people say, I'm not worried about ransomware. I have antivirus. Most ransomware operates with things like PowerShell that are native to the operating system. Therefore, unless you've got really good solutions in place that do and look at those types of issues, it's going to slide right by it. Like if ransomware was eliminated by antivirus, 
with all of the stuff that you see out there. I mean, hell, you buy an HP laptop from Best Buy. It's got Trend Micro on it. Well, shouldn't that stop ransomware? No, because it's going to slide right by it because ransomware most of the time operates with things that are native to the operating system, which don't cause the triggers to go off on the system. And then you're still owning it. So you got to do something different. Uh, legitimate patches can be used to push stuff down. Okay, sure. That's applicable for big business and federal government, I would think, more than you would see for small and mid-sized business, but it is something to be aware of. Ransomware as a service makes it where any jackass anywhere it can be a ransomware operator. I think the the most recent stuff I've seen from uh, some of the threat intelligence folks say it costs you about 50 bucks to become a ransomware as a service operator. Um, honestly, the more ransomware stuff I see bouncing around the network uh, or on the uh, the news, I'm like, man, I'm in the wrong retirement plan. Um, and cyber criminals are evolving their tactics. They increasingly exfiltrate critical and often sensitive data before encrypting it on systems and then demand a ransom. Yeah, uh, the other thing that showed up recently is the revenge porn side of it. So if you're somebody that's out there that you're doing work stuff and while you're doing work stuff, you happen to look at porn. And I hate to break it to people, but the reality is people look at porn. That's why like one in every three pieces of content generated on the Internet is porn related. People go off and look at it while they're at work. They take dirty pictures. They download stuff. They do interesting sexual things with their significant others and they store it on their machine. You wouldn't want that stuff leaking out. Well, guess what? The ransomware guys see those files. They see those MP4s and whatever else. And they come back and they say, even though I didn't get your data, um, I happen to know that you've got this out there. I copied it. And if you don't pay me, I'll release it to the Twitter. I'll release it to the, the, the church group that you go to because they know who they're targeting. So that's another type of ransomware that's showing up and it's becoming more and more prolific. It's there. Uh, I'll find the report for my session next week. But I mean, really, that's just another version of the sextortion, I think, is what a lot of folks are starting to call it. And it's it, it would work. I mean, I think a lot of people would be willing to pay to not have their dirty secrets and pornography aired over the Internet. Um, bad guys know what they're doing. And guess what? They don't play by the rules. There's nothing that says you can't do this. They're doing this to make money. They're doing it for a whole lot of economic, societal, uh, moral, whatever reasons. They don't have to play by the rules. They don't, they're not hindered by someone going like, that's a really crappy thing to do to somebody. They don't care. They're criminals. The likelihood of them getting caught is almost zero. The reasons for them not to do it are less than the reasons for them to do it. And in some of these places where they are active, it's the only way to have a, you know, economically comfortable life. So it's kind of what they do. Um, it's not going to stop. It's not going to go away. It's going to become worse. Um, the more that we have things available and the more that folks are able to get at it, the bigger problem we continue to have. I saw the news this morning about the uh, uh, party, the third party contractor for a uh, nuclear system, which was ransomed. That's super comforting. Let me tell you, if there's ever a day to start really freaking out, like that's the one where I kind of start digging the bunker a little bit deeper in the backyard. Um, you know, it talks in this article, SMBs have got to adapt to this changing landscape. They've got to do things like shut off PowerShell, um, application isolation, multi-factor off, like all the things that we talk about in the realm of zero trust. This whole ransomware thing and this, this, the issues that we mainly face in cybersecurity is not exceptionally uh, intricate to solve. I mean, that's the reality of it, right? This is this. There are physics of the problem. If you deal with the physics of the problem, things can get better pretty quick. Otherwise, you just continually scratch and claw uphill, and you never really get things uh, fixed. I mean, let's let's say let's let's take away three things real quick. Number one, turn on MFA. 
Go do it. You don't have an excuse. If you can buckle your freaking seatbelt, you can turn on MFA. Number two, shut off things that you don't need to do work. You don't do development work. You don't need PowerShell. Isolate it. Number three, pay attention to what's going on in your systems and infrastructure. If you see something weird, address it. Like if you do those three things just as a start, just as a beginning, you're doing things uh, in line with zero trust over time and you're eliminating what the bad guys need to get over on the, on the endpoint and cause compromises and whatever else. I did a, a deployment with a customer this week. They had a hundred users and they said, everything is great in our network. Life goes on. We're perfect. There's never any issue. Turned it up, fired up the system. And guess what? In about 35, 40 minutes, saw things scanning and looking for accesses that it hadn't been looking for before. That's a problem. Start isolating. And sure enough, what was it? An old account for an administrator that wasn't there anymore that someone had hacked that was basically being used for a jump box. And it took 35 or 40 minutes to fix. Problem's gone. Life goes on. Like this stuff is not exceptionally difficult if you approach the problem correctly. Rant over. Uh, it's June 16th, 2021. Hope everyone has a great uh, rest of the week. I'm looking forward to the live stream on Friday. I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up over the next few weeks as well. Um, and let's just keep our fingers crossed that things keep quiet as this uh, Biden-Putin conference kind of play out. Stay safe. Stay secure. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.